Commence primary ignition. I'm just not the, the hero type, clearly. What a piece of junk. Enterprise, this is the captain. I got a bad feeling about this. It's all part of the plan. Engage. Welcome back to Podcast 2 for 1. I'm your host, Donovan Thompson, with my co-host, Daniel Wingfield. And today is episode 150-something of Podcast 2 for 1. If you haven't already, <laughs> hit that subscribe button, the notification bell. That way, you're done all future episodes of Podcast 2 for 1, youtube.com slash 2 for 1 studios, the best place to consume the content. And if you haven't already, wait, I did that part. <laughs> you think if you I would still haven't subscribed like in the five seconds yeah. since he said it, yeah, I'll exactly. Now do it, guys. Clearly, I'm tired. I mean, I don't know. It's been a it's been a a week in adventure. Um, yes, I agree. It, here's what I was going to really say though. If you didn't know, and boy oh boy, I bet you did not. We are sponsored by Kapow Comics, located at 4047 East Gull Avenue in Sherwood, Arkansas. That they have comic books, collectibles, graphic novels, and of course, special guest appearances throughout the year. And the big thing here too is. If I didn't know this till because our sponsors don't tell us, but Flash Gordon <laughs> was there at the at the store in the last couple of weeks since this recording. Whenever this, so it's, it don't really wow. matter to you, listener. But Flash uh, Gordon was there. That's a pretty cool get. It is a get. It's a great get. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. So they're getting they get all kinds of people down there. It's kind of crazy, actually. It seems like it's one of the more. I mean, especially since that other comic store kind of went out. Um, they're 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 one of the more prominent ones in Central Arkansas now. It feels like just they're kind really of the, doing stuff. The only one, yeah, and they they get guests as big or bigger than the Comic Cons down there. Yeah, and like, yeah, and it's probably yeah, and then like you don't and like one thing is too, you get to go there. I guess it's become like a whole thing about Kapow now. But you go there and like yeah, you have to wait in line sometimes, but sure. like you're not. It's like you're there for that one person versus going to a Comic Con. Yeah. And like there's five different people and you might not, you only might get to meet two of the five, but like right. you can kind of plan better. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like it's, yeah. it's in that way. I think it's kind of nice to, to go in knowing, yeah. okay, I'm going to be here for this one person and I can get out. Anyway, Daniel, go to today, Kapow Comics. Talking, Maybe go to they'll Kapow, pay us someday if we, if we, if you, and tell them 241 sent you. You know what I mean? There they'll know go. exactly who you're talking about. They will instantly yeah. know and be like, yeah, oh, 100%. yeah, our sponsors. Yeah. 100%. Yeah, we're their yeah yeah no they're our sponsors Daniel yeah and we're not we're not their sponsors they're our sponsors you could have fooled me yeah that's true (laughs) that's true I've definitely given them way more money than they've ever given us like Uh, personally just from your own purchases right that's what I'm saying yeah Yeah, easily yeah yeah Yeah. walking in there I've spent more money than they've ever given us um so sorry listeners uh. You're here for one reason and one reason only. That's right. Another MCU movie has come out. This one is probably, I would say this is maybe the most divisive MCU movie or second most divisive I've ever seen in the whole 31 films and however many eight, 10 MCU Disney Plus shows we've we've had. And we're talking about Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania. And... I want Daniel's thoughts first and I'll give you my thoughts and then I want to kind of go into like some of the things we liked, some of the things we didn't like. Um, and uh, then we can kind of go from there, but Daniel initial reactions. What did mm-hmm. you, what did you think about this movie? I thought Ant-Man and the Wasp Pontomania was great. Fine. Actually great to good. I want, I, I, it's oh. above fine. It's above. I heard fine. great. And I was like, 
Whoa. Yeah, I would say good to great. I think it's um it gave me what I've been craving from the MCU, um, which was universe building plot and and kind of um you know, kind of world building, lore building, giving us stuff that's leading up to like kind of the next big events in the MCU. Um, now that's pretty much all it gave me. Like, you know, I think the best Marvel films of the past of the, of the Marvel films are the films. Like I would say like Captain America, winter soldier or civil war, where these are very personal stakes for these characters, but the, actions that take place have these ripple effects that change every movie after that right yeah and and i think this movie has the ripple effects it has the plot stuff it has the like we're seeing the beginning of what's to come and that's really exciting and every time the movie focused on that i was 100 percent tuned in right unfortunately most of the things around that in terms of like character development or character stakes or those things are pretty lifeless to me. They're non-existent really. Yeah. They're there, but they're place. They feel like placeholders, right. For like actual, like it feels like AI could have written their lines a little bit. You know what okay. I mean? Like okay. for me, like as far as those scenes and I think, um, yeah, like just the stuff they tried to do with the daughter and him was just flimsy as hell. Um, and so, yeah, I think, you know, it's a movie that, you know, the MCU is just such an interesting position right now where it's like they are, they're caught between what the fans want and what the diehard fans want and trying to continue to mass appeal to as many people as possible. And <clears throat> at some point they can't do both. At some point they're going to have to pick a direction. And I feel like on some of the past MCU projects, we've seen them pick the mass appeal direction, right? The trying to hit every check every box, whether it's diversity boxes or inclusion boxes or just uh, subverting trope boxes um, and trying to appeal to the people that have kind of moved past the MCU. And then this movie, I think, kind of swerved the exact opposite direction and just kind of went straight for the diehards, which I am. And so I think it appealed to me more. I get some of the critical response, right? Some of the, well... For for people that aren't as diehard as us, getting that what I consider kind of the nerdy details of of the MCU, that that's not enough for everybody to feel like they're getting what they need from this. And so I understand some of the the re response. At the same time, I think it is drastically exaggerated the amount of bashing this movie has. I think. I think for one, there's a from my just personal experience, there seems to be a pretty clear divide between critical response and fan response. And fan response is much more positive than critical. Not like yeah. they're not no one. I don't see anyone saying this is the best MC movie they've ever seen. You know what I mean? Or or even like the best of the last few necessarily. But it is like this. It was good. It it gave me what I wanted. It had good stuff in it. And like Jonathan Majors carried the movie. Um. So yeah, I, I think we can get into this discussion more in the pod in a little bit, but I think this movie is an interesting landmark or an interesting mile marker in the discussion of the MCU. Has it, you know, is it, is it running its course? Is it getting towards the end of its, of its uh, massive success? I, I don't know. We'll see. 
Yeah, I mean, I I pretty much agree with almost everything you said. I, I and I, I agree. This is a definitely going to be a landmark of us. I think it's a pivotal moment in like this the cinematic discussion of the MCU in terms of like exactly. what we do here on the pod and everything else. And you know, I I saw it early that Friday morning it come out, mm-hmm. and I remember kind of going into it. You know, with like at the time I think it was like fifty four percent of Rotten Tomatoes, which as you know, it's that's an aggregated. Um, you know, collection of critical mm-hmm. reviews, right? It could be something. It could accurate. be like it could be ninety five percent on Rotten Tomatoes, but everyone could have you know gave it like a sixty, you know, a sixty out of a hundred. Right. You know, what right. I'm saying like that. It, it could be oh, it's you know, it's somewhat positive. So it's a weird kind of measurement, but it does at least give us an idea of where the critics are kind of are, are feeling about the MCU in in a way. Right. And also at least in, in and that does kind of paint some of the zeitgeist. I think it does affect it box does. office numbers a little bit, at least maybe not in the first weekend, but definitely in the weeks following, because people kind of look at that. And I also think that right. people are influenced sometimes by other people. I mean, not, not sometimes all the time and yes. critics are yeah. play a huge part in that. Um, and um, I, uh, I watched the movie and granted, you know, I haven't got to watch as many movies as lately as I normally have. So I was going into it with like, I get to be at the movies again. And so I was having fun with my drink and my popcorn. And surprisingly yeah. at like nine o'clock in the morning, there was a lot of people there and I was kind of surprised. Oh. I was like, Oh, this is, this is a solid turnout. Hmm. And I'm not, it's kind of un, unheard of, but for me, I really enjoyed it. I thought it did enough for me in terms of, um, spectacle and I thought the, for me the humor landed really well I personally loved Modoc, which we'll get into hmm. and the big thing for me was like okay we had Thanos and he was a big villain Infinity War you know you could his presence is felt throughout the first two phases right. but he's never a character he's always just like this guy in the background like twice in the background but whenever he comes in um, in Infinity War, that that movie did all the heavy lifting for for him, and I think yeah. we got a little taste of Kang and Loki, He Who Remains. But this yeah. movie really, like, it was kind of his movie, right? We're we're just kind of getting to sit with him in places and kind of like think of the possibilities of what this character is going to go. And I think the movie did a good job in terms of setting him up, so, and, and kind of finally, somewhat kind of tying some of these other properties together. And I think maybe it's, it laid a lot of groundwork that I think we'll talk about it's rumors and speculation, but I think that it really kind of starts setting up. Okay. This is whenever now, when you go back to these other properties, you can kind of see now these things connecting, whether it be Shang-Chi, Miss Marvel. Yeah. Um, I think there's a lot of little, little things in there that's going to really tie together. And I also think it, it makes Loki season two, they were they were they're always to me important to watch, but this one is like even more so important now. Oh yeah. I was kind of afraid that yeah. they were going to double down. Um and like I don't know, they introduced Kang in the first season and I thought they were like maybe do something different the second season and they kind of just keep the story going. But it right. seems like now they're gonna just dive into the multiverse even more, which I'm like, thank God. You know, like that's what the I first did. season's about. But now it's kind of like, okay, like this is gonna involve Jonathan Majors again, and we might yeah. get to learn even more about his character. And I'm I'm hoping like he's in a multiple episodes and not just one or two or whatever. Yeah, I mean, it feels like it's setting up Loki season two as like Kang's backstory. This yes, show, which yeah. I love. I'm all in. Uh, um, 
yeah, so let's let's kind of dive into the movie mm-hmm. um a little bit real quick. Um real quick, I think your mic's a little low, Daniel. I think you can turn it okay. up real quick. Is that better? Yeah, I think it's a little better. Cool. Um so big thing about the this movie, you know, going into it, one is that this is written by uh I think his name is Jordan Loveless. I could be wrong on his name, but he's he's been credited as a writer for Rick and Morty. So now you can kind of maybe see some okay. of that a little yeah. bit there. But he's never really wrote a big feature film and not, nothing in this magnitude ever. Mm-hmm. So he's he's got this and he was already hired prior to this movie coming out to be in pen to write the King Dynasty. Oh, okay. So this so think about that right there. So this guy wrote this movie is writing the King Dynasty, and this movie's got the it's tied with Eternals for being the worst critical reception in mm-hmm. the MCU. Sure. I think it's like 48% of Rotten Tomatoes. So I do wonder if he's going to be writing King Dynasty sure. you know, ever, or yeah. if they're going to bring in other people to help him or whatever. So we'll see. But I think a big thing about this movie everyone's kind of complaining about is that the characters um, have no arc, right? And and the closest we have, I think the biggest arc we have probably in the movie is Modoc, surprisingly. But, yeah. um, and not saying that's a good one, but the the main characters here is what they're actually going through something emotional. It seems more like it's Janet Van Dyne yeah. and Jonathan Major's character. And like everyone, I think in every review is like, these two are doing great. Like all the actors are doing yeah. good. They're all serviceable, but these two are really mm-hmm. like carrying the emotional pieces of the movie. Um, it, it, the movie paints itself in the beginning that Scott Lang is, you know, he's, he saved the world. He's an Avenger. He's on, you know, he's 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 going to take a break. Right. He's kind of enjoying the the the, yeah. the the superhero life in terms of like the celebrity yeah. aspect of it. And he's kind of cashing in on that. Right. He's going to book readings. He's, you know, all that kind of good stuff. Yeah. And. They kind of introduce this idea that. He is not someone he's sitting on the sidelines and he's not someone who's actively, mm-hmm. um, you know, trying to save people anymore. Right. Like he right. like Cassie brings up like, you know, you're Half just retired. You're just. You're like, yeah, you're like half retired and like you don't really care about other people. You just, you right. know, you only come to people's aid when it affects you. Mm-hmm. But I don't really know if that's. I never felt that way in Ant Man 1 and 2. No. Um, I mean, there's an argument to be made for Ant Man 2, but like, I don't know. Scott doesn't seem like somebody who is just sits on the sidelines and like doesn't actively help no and, and, and the, pro- and the problem is a bit not it, tuned yeah. in to the world like the reality of what's going yeah, on yeah it does and the big thing is like the movie kind of disregards that like pretty early on like she mentions it to him again when we get to like the survivors yeah, yeah. of quantum mania but it's never like i don't really feel like it's like i don't want to help these people it's just like i have no problem helping them but like my main priority is you as my daughter yeah you know, yeah. I, that's like the closest we get to an arc for him, you know, and like yeah. it's it does and it, it doesn't really. There's really nothing like there's nothing at the end of the movie that, you know, ties into that at all. No, it's not like he learns something and now he realizes why he has to like care for more people than just his loved ones or something. Yeah, no, I yeah, it's very flimsy. It's it's pretty much non-existent. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean the whole the the first in a, it, even to be fair though, I went back and watched Ant Man one and two. Ant Man one, it's like, okay, Hank Pym recruits Scott to break in and yeah. steal some shit, as he says, right? Right. And Hank's Hank's like, do this for your daughter, 
but it's kind of like even that movie is kind of it's a little weird it's like okay well why would i risk my life to do illegal stuff right you know like into like to, for my daughter and, and the idea i guess they're trying to say is like you got to save the world like but they don't really say save the world it's kind of i mean like yes and no it's kind of more ambiguous as to what right is going on with there and, and it's, it's more of like I don't know. It's it, that's interesting too. It's like he's doing this for Cassie, but everything he's doing is like putting Cassie in danger. Like he's yeah breaking in. He's you know ends up causing Darren Cross to go into her bedroom. Right. Like it's he puts yeah. a target on Cassie when Cassie was safe by herself. So it's a little weird. It is, and I think that's just some of the contradictory nature of some like the logic of the film a little bit. I think you get that with when you have to solve everything with violence. There is sometimes like a, like. Uh, a degree of that that has to be there i think you know i will say like i don't in terms of this being an ant-man film it didn't feel like one like the humor was there in spots that like was like paul rudd humor but most of the time like especially when it would like pop up in a really serious scene i didn't think it worked too well honestly i thought hank pym was the source of the most comedic relief in the film uh, mm-hmm. Just because he was off just kind of doing his own shit and like kind of just like and then comes in at the last second just to save everything, you know, just in this kind of just like, oh, I got my ants, you know, kind of way. Uh, and that's kind of funny to me. Um, I see. But, I think yeah. the humor really, really worked for me. Like I was laughing quite a bit. And like the thing is, I didn't laugh that much in the first two Ant-Man movies. Like I mm-hmm. feel like the, the humor relied a lot yeah. on his like posse, right? That is like other ex-convicts right, yeah. guys. And to me, like that humor wasn't that funny. Even like what's his face recounting all the stuff. Like that's fun recounting right. the stories and like the backhanded like conversations that lead to Sky. But like right. to me, it's like it's fun, but it's not funny. And so I found like this movie was pretty funny compared to the other ones. Mm. So that's why it's so interesting to me. Because I'm like, oh, the first two didn't really make like I enjoy them and they're fine, but it wasn't like I don't know. Mm. Like to me, Scott and like. Paul Rudd is so endearing. He's he's this way in all of them. He does a great job. Like he does the the hardcore emotional stuff great. He does everything yeah. else great. The funny stuff. Like he's an amazing actor, and I think he's perfect to be Ant, the Scott version of Ant Man, Scott Lang. Yeah, I think more. It, it's maybe not like some of them were good jokes and funny. I just think they felt a largely out of place in this film. See, like they see, feel kinda... like they fit the the previous Ant Man movies. Kind of feel like these hijinks escapades that it's a it's a it's a series of like bad luck or just you know split second decisions that start this like domino effect of just issues like it, it they have a lighter feel to them than most mcu like kind of had this like yeah. it's ant-man it's like he's he might save the world but like it, the stakes are a little lower usually and so i feel like this kind sure. of of awkward humor is kind of what i feel like he does is kind of this like he says something and it's awkward he says things awkwardly and that's where some of yeah. the humor comes from right um that works in this kind of lighter world i think when you've got kang talking about how he needs to break out of here so he can to kill all his other versions and rule everything and then you get this weird awkward humor line in the middle of that it just feels like even if that is like a funny thing and like, it's a good joke, it just feels weird in this scene. If that makes sure. sense. And I think that's yeah. even where like Hank Pym's humor worked for me better. Cause it came in at these kind of like less, less emotionally dramatic moments where yes, there's a lot of action on scene, but we're sure. not having a character moment. We're not having a character like, like 
dialogue their life goals or like really set out who they like talk about who they are and like unveil like their character motivations. Does that make sense? Yeah. And so maybe the- no, it makes it makes total sense. I, I that's a big problem I've had with the MCU in general, and it, I think it's also a proponent of their success. But for a problem for me, particularly like in Guardians Two, is a big example. Yes, it's like it felt like every serious moment was undercut by a joke. See, for me, I was surprised in this one that like mm. they did it in a way that still worked for me. Like in Guardians, like there's still moments I watch. I'm like, God, like why they do, like why do you undercut that yes. moment? Like just yes, like exactly. that. But like to me, this one worked a little bit better for some reason for me compared to some of the other ones. I don't know why, yeah. and I, need, I maybe need to where you watch it again and feel differently. But I do want to go back real quick because I, I have a I have a point to kind of all this. So yeah, Ant Man one. They, the idea, I guess, is like okay, be a hero, be the hero that your daughter already thinks you are. Sure. But like Scott went to prison in the beginning because he was try- he was basically Robin Hood. He was a bad corporation was doing things, yeah. and he broke in and he basically gave the money to all the poor people or something like that. Right. Yeah. That's why he went to prison. So he wasn't a bad guy. He just made a poor decision, right? Yeah. Ant Man Two. It's more about Hank and Hope finding their mom. And he's under house arrest because he went to the call of Captain America. Right. Right. So he like, he's like, um, he's like again in trouble again because he did something that ended up being true, being the correct moral thing to do. Right. So he's always doing the moral thing and being punished for it. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and also it's like, he's not really, I'm not sure he changes or grows maybe a little bit in Ant-Man one, but not so much in Ant-Man two. He doesn't really have a strong arc in Ant-Man two at all. No, it's interesting because you're right. Like he kind of starts as a, He's flawed in his some of his decision making, but as a character, he's very not very flawed. He doesn't have like mm-hmm. a like think about Tony Stark, who has like a pretty yeah. giant character flaw to start out with, or even Thor, who's like arrogant as shit. You know what I mean? That's a pretty giant uh, character flaw. Um, maybe even Cap. I don't know if he has necessarily has a character flaw as much as he has like uh, the chat. Like he he just has everything's against him in this world. Like he has like he has. Uh, the, the challenge before him to be who he is into this world that's starkly different than the world he knew that isn't it's not a character flaw but it's a character challenge it's something that he has to grow through and he has to do a lot of growth as a person to make it work right yeah and i do feel like you're right like ant-man paul rudd you know scott lang he's he's sometimes a little clueless Right? right a little duncey you know what i mean a little clumsy but his heart's always in the right place right yeah. and so there is and again that kind of works for these lighter more comedic films because the, the driving force is the comedy in a, in a comedy not the character sure right they're more comedies i mean the first one was supposed to be especially with um Edgar Wright. Know, yeah exactly uh and it still is it's still kind of a comedy it, they both are they're comedies and yeah. that works with who, what Paul Rudd's strengths as an actor are, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but then that does become an issue, I guess, when you are. And I do feel like I feel like you know they said, well, Ant Man three needs to be more about the universe than Ant Man, and I'm okay with that decision. I think that is okay to make sometimes. And I think it, this is the thing where this movie improved the universe and maybe did nothing or maybe harmed Ant Man as a character. Right, like, 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 moved him nowhere, but it did. The universe is go is is it clearly pointed us to where we're going next, 
right? The next yes. big event, Kang Dynasty, right? We we have a much clearer idea of what that's going to be like, you know? Right. Um, but yeah, you're right. I mean, I think it is this interesting thing of like, well, he doesn't, he needs to grow in his decision-making, you know, and in, in being less well, naive, the- but, but his heart's always in the right place. So what, how do you make that character, you know, how how do you well, here, make compelling arcs with that? It's, it's difficult. Well, here's the interesting thing is that the trailers, if you remember, the trailers paint the plot as being Scott lost time with his daughter, right? And basically, because right. he lost time with her because of the blip, whatever, then Kang is going to seduce him and be like, hey, I can you get me the thing I need, and then I'm going to give you the thing that you want the most, which is time back with her. Right. You know, and like that was and like that. Okay, that that's him making a poor decision and then learning that if he if that was the plot. And then at the very end, I would assume learning right. that like, okay, you have to sacrifice sometimes even the things that you care about the most to right. for the greater good. Right. That would be an arc. Whether you agree with it or not, that would be that would be his arc. Yeah. Yeah. But the movie, I think I think it made it more heroic. It took away the arc. But in the movie, right. he, Kang proposes this and Scott's like, no. Like I've, I've kind of been around the block a little bit and you seem like a bad dude. I'm not going to help you. And it's not until, which is like, which is much different because one's like, Oh, I like, is a smart and like, actually it's a smart decision. Yeah. It's what most, it's what any intelligent character you would think would like, it is that thing. Like if he had been wooed by this, it would be a little bit like, all right, Scott Lang's an idiot. Like that's why this happened. Yes. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. So I think. Yeah, which I thought was interesting again, but it does rob him. Like, but he still ends up doing it anyway because Kang then threatens his daughter. Um, but but like it may definitely that's a different, totally different two different movies there. So I think that's interesting. It is, Um, right. But I think, you know, I think they were trying to do something with like his with the freedom fighters and like you're you're sitting on the sidelines kind of thing. I just don't think that kind of stuff worked. Um Real quick on Hope. Hope, I think, has like seven minutes of screen time with Ant-Man in the movie. Yeah, um, it was one of those things where like when the credits rolled and I realized it said Ant-Man and the Wasp. It kind of chuckled. I was like, yeah. that I, I, I forgot that and the Wasp was in the title because she was really not in the movie. Yeah, it's kind of wild that she like <laughs> she has no arc at all. I mean, yeah. other than you didn't tell us about Kang. Like, you know, it was like you you hid this from us, which is not an arc. That's just no, like a no, no, no. that's more kind of Janet's arc. And even then she doesn't really yes. only grow or change by the end of it. Um right. and let's kind of let's get some of the criticisms here. Um sure. and then we'll kind of circle back to like Modoc and Kang, all those kind of things. So I think one of the things too is like this this is this some universe stuff. Mm. You know, at the end of Ant Man the Wasp, the, the post credit scene is that they're sending Scott to the quantum realm to collect energy. And then he's inside there and everyone gets blipped on the outside. Why doesn't Janet Van Dyne say he probably shouldn't go to the quantum realm? Yeah, no, you're right. I mean, it's one of those things where again, the, the plot is, and I hate this cause it feels very bad. I, I don't my, not my kind of writing. The plot happens because characters aren't communicating for flimsy reasons right right like that's why this whole thing again and and it's like i did a little bit roll my eyes when they're like no you're sending us like what yeah if that was such a like you could end the universe why wouldn't you like first rule be hey 
no one send any signals down sure. there. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Now there's a couple things here. One, Ant-Man one, Scott goes to the quantum realm, but it looks like he's not as deep. You know what I'm saying? Like, it looks like he's like floating in space. He's not like on a Yeah, planet. there's like levels yeah. of it, right? It's, it's what it feels like. Yeah. So, and even in the post credit scene, Scott is also, I'm probably asking these questions, Daniel, because I think I have answers to him a little bit. Sure. But, and the, the post credit scene also, he's like floating in space again. He's not like on the earth. You know, he's like a, looks like he's at a level of the quantum realm, mm-hmm. Um, which I would argue then. If in first eight man he just changes his regulators and he goes big and that's how he gets back out of the quantum realm. So it's like, well, why can't they mm. do that again in this one? Why can't he just get big? Yeah. Well, I mean, at some point, it's just that's the messiness of this level of science fiction, right? It, it, it's it's yeah. going to contradict itself to. It is and again I, stories. You're going to eventually contradict yourself with like yeah science. And again, I kind of think that. You know, he's also they, they didn't go deep enough. I think that might be a big reason because whenever. Yeah. Because whenever Michael Douglas goes to get Janet Van Dyne um, in Ant-Man 2, he does land on like a organism kind of planet to right. get her. Right. So it feels like he went deep enough. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And she does say like, here's my coordinates, right, in Ant-Man 2. So I think it's a little bit, I, I think it's okay. I do have a bigger solution as to why all this kind of, mm. and it's multiversal kind of stuff. But um, another thing people didn't really like, a lot of people didn't like, is MODOK. Um, and I personally loved Modoc. Hmm. A couple things. One, I love that they tied it with Darren Cross. I think it makes total yeah. universal sense that it's this guy that we already met. It kind of gives us a little bit of automatically paints him with the history that mm-hmm. in the comics he's just like this dumb looking. I mean, like he's he's fun dumb looking. Like he looks yeah. like the, he looks like he does in the movie for the most part. Like he's just weird looking yeah. sized robot that just kills things, and he's typically the butt of a joke. I mean, like he's. You know, and like it's mostly like, will they do Modoc? Like that'd be a fun thing if they ever did it, kind of thing. And now that they did mm. it, and they, you know, people are kind of like they hate the CGI on his face. I think it works in the context of like we're in the quantum realm. This is yeah, but who knows what he looks like? This is a place that doesn't exist in our reality. So like I can buy that. You know, like it looks weird, but like I I'm okay with it. And right. I don't know why, but like I felt so bad for him throughout the whole movie. Mm. Like I think that the actor um he did a great job to me and like just making him feel like this character that i mean everyone's upset about like cassie saying hey don't be a dick and then he's like he makes a total character change from one line but for me it totally worked because he feels like this character that he was on top of the world the first movie yeah and because of a he was going insane at the end of the movie due to the pin particles but also he's this character that literally has no identity and he is yeah. he's grasping on onto what everyone else tells him his identity is kang is right. you're this murderous robot right so he is you're you don't have to be a dick oh i don't have to be a dick it's like this it's like this really simple minded person mm-hmm. or object or yeah. thing very childlike and yeah. i and i think like it made him so like to me sympathetic and it has probably one of the best moments in the movie too when he's like i died in avenger like that is one of the I best. Know, that, that was funny. Yeah, it's and then Scott's like, he's like, don't no one argue. You know what I mean? Yeah, you, you it's did. so good. Yeah, it to is me, funny. That was great. I, I liked that, and I and I agree. I think I I mean I think I didn't think the CGI looked great, but I don't know how you do that character and it it looks great. 
You know what I mean? It like, looks, yeah, just the I mean, proportions like proportions that you have to do to make that character what he is. Like, I don't, I don't know. It'll be ten years before we have CGI that makes that look realistic. I guess, but like, yeah. I don't know if there is a version that makes that realistic. There is this uncanny valley to it, just because of the proportions of his face. Yeah, that is the character that is a part of who Modok is. Right. I agree yeah. with you. I liked that he had connection to the universe. I liked that he had connection to Ant Man. I think that was a strong decision and a good decision. Um, I, I thought he was, I didn't hate him. You know what I mean? Like mm. I, I, I didn't think he was like, he didn't steal the show for me. You know what I mean? Like, sure. But I did, I thought the arc worked and I did think that was funny at the end as well. Cause I do think he, he showed signs of like kind of being manipulated. You know, he didn't seem like he was, yeah. it wasn't all his idea to be this way kind of thing. And so I think that worked him turning at the end. I think that worked fine. Yeah, I think I again I think he has to be like for me one of the saddest characters in the MCU. And I just I don't know why. I just I felt so bad yeah. for him while I was watching, especially towards the end. I was like, I feel bad for this guy. Yeah. Um I don't know. I just I really did. Yeah. And um so I mean that was I, I think Modoc worked and I'm I'm surprised to hear you hear you say the same. Well, and I and I'll say this too, like I think part of why he works, and I think you are he, right, he's this weird, strange character. I agreed with someone else posting about this on Facebook, but this movie, the production design and aesthetic felt like Star Wars to me. In fact, it felt better than a lot of Star Wars we've gotten recently in terms of it feeling like alien worlds. It feels like worlds and cultures and species that are fully fleshed out in their own universe. You know what I mean? And that's what Star Wars felt like. The world building of Star Wars was it like, it, it felt so intricately planned and and designed to make it feel like this giant universe you know what i mean and the recent star wars movies don't feel like it, it feels like we're seeing the same aliens we've seen since the beginning you know in the same planets doing the same things it feels like in the george lucas every time it was like oh what's this fucking alien and their culture that he's come up with like a, a, a like a, a slice of it and you you feels real you know what I mean? And that is what I felt in this world of like this quantum realm, this weird ass place where physics work by different rules, where all these kinds of things, and you did all these alien beings or these natives or whatever. And I think Modoc fit in that. He kind of felt like this weird alien that fits in this weird place. You know what I yeah. mean? And I think that's part of why I think that makes him work better, right? And versus if he was just out in the normal world of the MCU, then it would feel a little like sillier. You know what I mean? I but I think, yeah, anyway. So, I yeah, no, I, I 100% agree, which was going to be my like, kind of my next little place here is a lot of complaints about this movie is that it's just one, the thing I keep seeing or hearing is CGI slog fest, right? Like it's just CGI galore and that you could tell this whole movie was shot on the volume, all those kind of things. And while I do get some of that criticism, I also, I'm like, but how, well, there's no precedent for the quantum realm like it does, it's not a thing that exists and yeah, like I mean, there is a there's a place where you like make more practical sets that you're involved with and you're enhanced by cgi i get that right but also i don't know i i it's a that's a weird one that's it's a harder one for me to kind of make a decision on because yeah i mean it's this thing of like i don't know how you make a movie in the quantum realm without it Right, but at the same time, it isn't the most most visually appealing movie to look at because it does feel very CGI heavy. It I'm does. okay with that. Like, I I don't mind. In fact, I feel like of the movie genres that need to and can lean into that with more, you know, impunity, 
superhero movies that that's the one I'm fine with because like, I'm not really there for the cinematography anyway. You know what I mean? I'm not really there for these like perfectly shot lit vistas or whatever. Like I'm there for the action and the character moments and the plot. That's what I'm there for. You know what I mean? Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not really there for the aesthetic as much. And so I think, I it doesn't bother me as much because I I, mean, I guess I kind of went in there expecting it because how else do you do that? You know what I mean? I, yeah. I do agree that it is just like, it feels like another one added to the list of just like CGI heavy everything from Disney. You know, like other than Andor, this feels like in line with what we've gotten a lot from Disney recently. And that feels like a little bit tiresome and just that it is just everything is this sometimes. Yeah. But I also so want to I push back both up. ways a little bit. I want to push a little bit just in terms of, to me, I think love and thunder is a, was way worse CGI than this movie was. There's moments in love and thunder that look great, but I never like, but to me, I think part of it was because the quantum run is darker. Like it's visually darker. Yeah that like it gets a more of a pass versus like love and thunder. There's lots of shots where they're like in bright scenarios and you're like, you're on a green screen, you know, like it looks not great. And so same with Dr. Strange. I think like there's moments where I'm like, this doesn't look great. You know what I'm saying? Like, I feel like this is a a problem we've had lately. I don't know. I I think like, I thought it looked, I think it's one of the better CGI outings they've had. I agree. I I think the CGI was, fairly good in just terms of like it's consistent yes there wasn't there was maybe i need to reframe what i was saying the lord love and thunder has like blatant bad looking cgi that like pulls you out of the experience this doesn't have that but what i do feel like is with shows like this at least for me they're a bit more visually draining and i think i think that's true of just like looking at things that are computer generated because it's not the perfect movement of like a 24 FPS, like looking person. And it's usually not as crisp, right? Like CGI has got a little softness to it, which kind of leads, I think our eyes to kind of be like searching it more for the, like trying to find like lines of reference in it, which are just harder to find in a dark CGI heavy movie. So it's more of like the CGI was good. It's just, kind of visually tiring to watch two hours of it constant sure and and, it, and it's one of those things of like i think it was i think yeah like i think the cgi was was done well it's just if i could have my way i would prefer not to watch a movie that was 100 percent cgi for two hours sure that's just oh, a bit visually that. draining but at the same time i don't know how you do this movie without it you know what I mean? So yeah. it's it's like I don't hold it against them. I do hold it against the trend of sure. It's cheaper. Let's just do it in the in the volume kind of thing, right? Yeah. That Again, that's, that's to me more what I'm saying. If I can do anything in this podcast today, Daniel, it's to convince everyone listening that this movie is better than Thor: Love and Thunder. <laughs> that's that's I really mean, honestly that's my goal. I completely like, I, agree. I mean, it, I don't understand again, it in the you know the I thing, don't understand it, how. People can I think, think there's not. a difference between casual fans and more invested fans. You know what I mean? I think, I think, I think casual fans probably love Love and Thunder more and more because it didn't take itself seriously, and they're they don't want to take the universe seriously either. 
You know, they, they'd rather just kind of be like, it's dumb and it's fun and I'm not going to like be that invested in it. And that's fine. Uh, and again, I think this is where Disney is encountering kind of like a, a split in the road here. And they're trying to figure out, they're not very good at doing both. Or they have been more in the past, but they're, they're really struggling to do both now, to appeal to just your casual mm-hmm. blockbuster movie fans and the fans that have been there since day one, that have seen all the behind the scenes, have read, have, have watched every deleted scene, you know, have, have have been tuned into this level of like they're trying to predict what happens next. You know what I mean? Um, and, and I feel like the divide there, that to me is like Love and Thunder, which got what, like, what did it end up with? Like 60s in, in the Rotten Tomatoes? 60s or 70s, yeah. yeah. I'll check it out. I, you know, it did better because it was just this kind of an unimportant film. You know what I mean? Like, if you removed that film from the canon, I don't think anything really changes. lost. Right, exactly. Which is and sad. so it's easier. It's an easier film to just pick up, pick up, and put down. You know what I mean? Okay, that was fine. I'm I'm done. But like this one, I mean, Quantumania is highly dependent on the movies that came up to it, and it 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 kind of functions. I would say the main purpose of this movie is to set up the future things, right? Yeah. Um. And so this movie is a movie for us. For people that have been there since day one, that have been invested in the in the details and the world building and the lore and trying to trying to predict in a fun way what happens next, and yeah, it, it's just this thing of like I I'm really curious how Marvel will respond to this because it's doing well in the box office. You know, it's not doing gangbusters, but I mean, it's, 120 it's million opening weekend. It's the best Ant Man opening, which you got to yeah. people have to look at it like that too, like. Yeah, the first Ant Man opened up to like fifty something million. This one's and let's be honest, double. Paul Rudd and even Jonathan Majors, like I know he's becoming, but like, but Paul Rudd is not the star power of Chris Evans or Robert Downey Jr. You know no. what I mean? That the and, name and the on that poster doesn't Ant-Man. do the same. Exactly. It's exactly. I, I, even though joke. I love Ant Man, I know I love. I've always loved Ant Man before the movie came right. out. Like he's always he's always he's even my favorite underdog character is Ant Man. Sure. But like, yeah, no, so, no one else cares about Ant-Man, but me, you know what I'm saying? Like, so it's right, not Iron Man right. or Spider-Man or, you know, and like people kind of understand that like it, this movie was never going to make $200 million opening weekend, like Dr. Strange or Thor or something. No, no, it never was. And, no. And I yeah. think it's, it's doing, it's doing enough in the box office that they won't look at it and just say it's a complete failure. Right. I yeah, it will really depend this weekend if depending on how big of a drop we have because the word of yeah. mouth, everything is going to totally. You're right. The second, third weekend is will be the make or break. If it just drops like seventy percent, then they're really fucked. But we'll you're right, see. and so you know it will just be very interesting because if you look at the last phase, the Miss Marvel, She Hulk. Uh, the good ones, WandaVision and Moon Knight and Captain or Falcon and the Winter Soldier. You look at um, Eternals. You look at the Spider Man, uh, Spider Man Three, like um, and then and then Doctor Strange and and uh, Love and Thunder and this one and Black Panther. Like I feel like each movie this like you could almost divide them on two sides: the movies that take itself seriously and the and the shows and movies that don't. You know what I mean? And like, and to me, that's a clear divide of like, which ones I prefer and which ones I really don't care for. You know what I mean? But it's just, I don't know which one. I mean, Disney wants both. We know that Disney wants both because both mean more money, right? And 
the MCU the, can't the, survive without the diehard fans. If the diehard fans weren't there, the MCU wouldn't be what it is. But at the same time, it has established itself as one of the most money, like the most profitable IPs that have ever existed in all of entertainment. And that is its reputation, like at a at a executive level, right? Yeah. And so that is what they expect out of it. And so you have to appeal to as many people as possible. Like that's the rule. It feels like that you have yeah. to do that. If you're making it Disney, you have to appeal to it. Like there's a list of everyone that has to be appeased, appeased to some degree. And I think- I How think will, they be, I th will they be able to balance that? I don't know. I don't know. They, well, I they think, haven't I think been the doing answer, a great job this last phase. They have not lately been doing a great job. I think the answer always goes back to, you. it's the first thing you said, and it's the one I agree with. What's the best MCU movie of all time? My answer has pretty much always been to come out is Captain America, the Winter Soldier. Yep. And the movie, that, the thing that that movie had, it had three things. It had specificity on what kind of movie it wanted to be. Want yes. to be this Condor 1970s thriller, spy action thriller, yeah, spy action thriller. But it had a character, but Steve had a character arc. It cared, it was about Steve and his perspective and challenging his beliefs, which is interesting because he's one of the hardest characters to do a character arc in. Yes, you so you're, and you're challenging and his, I would even argue his place in the world. He doesn't even and, have a massive arc in that. Again, it's more about the challenge, it's more about captains. Can Captain America? hold true to his character in the face of all of these complicated challenges that sure. are gray areas and there's no clear right and wrong. Yeah. Again. Yeah. Right. And like, you're right. It's not, it, that's a harder one to talk about, which I'd love to at some point. We, we he have does, a lot right? Like his, his arc is he doesn't kill Bucky. He spares him. He, he, he is willing to let Bucky kill him yeah. rather than to kill Bucky. And like, that is yeah. him holding on to his, his values in the face of death. In the right. face of I will die if I if I continue to be the person that I think I should be. And I think that's right. That works for who that is, you know. Yeah. No, yeah. And so like that one's right. a little harder to, to, to nail. But the third thing it has is it's universe changing. Yes. Hydra being or shield being Hydra was like a huge deal that totally repainted how we saw the Marvel Cinematic Universe up to that point. So it had all those three things, right? Even the, again, the the arc is a harder one, but at least, at least it's all about Captain America's choices and character. It's, it's just a different kind of arc. I think it works. It great. is. It's just a different. Uh, yeah. It, 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 it was a brilliantly done for who Cap is. Like that's how you do Cap. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So like that's the thing is like they need they need to be specific again. I think they were trying to with Eternals. They were trying to be like different in like a different look and voice it just didn't hit on i think they just things, bit right? off more than they could chew with eternals i feel like that do, that I, honestly I the better version of eternals is a, is a 10 episode tv show yes 100 to yeah. give every character their their, yeah. their, their and, and i walked out of that movie more positive than others but even then yeah, it wasn't I just, like i think i didn't love it i just you know i just like oh this is not bad as everyone says it is no um, it was just messy it had such it had you know eternals had some beautiful pieces of the puzzle it just the puzzle didn't come together quite right uh -uh, you're right 100 percent. you're right so i think that's kind of how they do it they got to make sure that they got to it's i mean it's hard it's it's hard making these kind of movies but they need to yeah. go in with the plan and be specific on what the objective is and then you know they don't always have to change the universe if they don't change the universe they really have to change the character yeah you're right you're right. And so, yeah. you know, and like, in, and the if best, you're going to change yeah. the universe, it's best to also change the character with it. But yes. in this case, well, they did even, one of the three. You could argue Civil know? War 
doesn't so, necessarily change the universe. It's not like we know things differently now. No. Like, but it totally it changed this, the universe. It changed the landscape of our the dichotomy of the heroes and the relationship with each other. It only changed it through the relationships. It's not like well, there's a new the universe, there's a though. new bad guys or there's I I agree. I just think it's a little different than like like I feel like that civil war is a character movie it's all about the characters and their passions and beliefs and those conflicting and like trying to you know what i mean it's i guess to me it's like versus like i i agree with you i think the perfect marvel movie is is the winter soldier where it is highly emotional and character personal to the character but it is also it when the movie ends you can't wait to see where the next movie picks up that thread because and then it just, also it opened up so yeah. many fun possibilities and ideas and, and like promises of future. Yeah. Cool ass plot. And the pieces that other movies have to deal with now. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. And, and, and that's where I think quantum media does do the thing in terms of like, it's not, it doesn't make always the, the best ramifications or decisions because we'll get to that in a second. Cause the next thing we're talking about is Kang. I think the rest of the pod will be about Kang, but it does do, it tries a little bit. I think that they could have done more, but let's get into Kang here, Daniel. So I think that the one thing that we hear amongst every single person who has watched this movie, whether the review is bad or good or somewhere in between is that Kang is awesome. That Jonathan majors does an amazing job as Kang. And I agree. I think yes. that he is, he is every time he talks, he's just an amazing actor and he's he does so many different things with his face and like he's intimidating, yep. but he's charming and he's seducing, but he's like he has presence to him. And then especially when you go back and watch He Who Remains in Loki season yeah. one, and then this, and then just oh, yeah. kind of we'll talk about the after credit scene in a second, but like I think that he's a he is an, a perfect foil for the universe at large, and he is someone that yes. can if they do him plot wise correctly, he can rival or be as good as Thanos was in the first three phases. Like to me, that is set in stone now. Like I'm like, okay. Yeah. Like I always thought it was possible. I, I thought it was going to happen no matter what, but like, I feel like everyone's in agreement now. That this, this is the big bad for phase four, five and six. Yeah. I mean, his, his performance was just at a different caliber than everyone yeah. else. It was just on a, just several levels above, you know what I mean? Like the range of emotions he could give in a look before it, without even saying anything, you know? And that has been true of every time he's been Kang on stream. Like Jonathan majors just feels like he is like a good ass actor. You know what I mean? Like, like when we think of the best actors in the MCU, I think of Tom Hiddleston. I think, I think of Benedict Cumberbatch, even though his character doesn't necessarily give him the space to use all his range. But when you look at Benedict Cumberbatch's like filmography, it's like, Holy fuck. This guy's like really, really good. Um, And, 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 but like, yeah, Tom Hiddleston, I think of, I do think of like, um, I think of uh, the Olsen. I can't think of Wanda. Um, These actors that, are more than MCU actors. They are, and even even I would say, um, what's his name from Moon Knight? Uh, both of the guys from Moon Knight, both the Oscar Isaac, Oscar Isaac, yeah. and Ethan Ethan Hawke. Um, yeah. They're these actors that are lauded for their work outside of the MCU. Like they get nominations, and they are like considered some of the best at their craft. And the MCU every now and then gets to get one locked in. And I think they, I think Kevin Feige in the MCU 
maybe the ace in the hole right now for them is Jonathan Majors' tank. Yeah, it is. Like he is just you can bank on him delivering the character is good. Like the character works for him getting to like basically having a million different personalities to one character and he gets to play through them all. I thought like, for, I loved his performance as the, he who remains. I loved his Kang, the conqueror, but like that after the credit scene, I was just like, so in love with this energy, all these different versions of him were giving. Like, I was just like, Really? Oh my God. Like, I love this. I can't wait to I was see a little him more act against each other, honestly. Pulled back on that one, but we'll get to him in a second. Um, yeah. I'm just, glad that you liked it, though. I did. I, I It just made me so excited to see, like, him acting against himself because I think he can pull it off in a way that most actors can't. Uh, yeah. I mean, he just he stole every scene he was in. Like, you never wanted the camera to cut away from him. You you never wanted anyone to interrupt. You you, just, you talk, man. You just you just monologue and everyone shut up. Yeah, he was. He made the movie, and I think he is the reason that I'm like it gives me. This movie makes me more pumped for the future of the MCU than anything has since like Spider Man Three, uh, No Way Home, uh, and so. That, I don't know, that that. Again, that's enough for me to feel like yeah, I got what I needed out of this MCU movie. Like, at the, at the what is the what is like the base minimum of what I need to be satisfied? I that I'm ready. I'm let's like I, I I'm ready for what's next. I'm ready for part two. You know, I'm ready for the rest of the story. Yeah, no, I think we're all in agreement here, Daniel. That everyone loves King, and I I I cannot wait to see him get with all these other heroes and, and like yes. play against them and then play against himself. Um, so I think we're all in agreement with that, but let's kind of talk about the plot of Kang and maybe what happened with him and also like maybe where he's going or what the ultimate kind of plan here is in the, in the multiverse saga. So obviously the movie starts out with like, he is being exiled to the quantum realm by the other Kangs, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. He's been exiled there and with his ship and his ship has the ability to traverse through time. And also it seems like different multiverses. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's like kind of it, in both. And the quantum realm is a place that sits outside of time and space. So it's a place where, mm. you know, he can't really do much unless he right. fixes his machine. Um, and it, it's very reminiscent of the, um, the I don't know what it's called, the, the void or the, I can't remember what it's called, but the place with, that he who remains is at at the yeah. end of time in the sacred timeline, right. right? Right. And so, I mean, there's a few people that be like, people have complained like, why would the other King send him to a place with the machine that, that he could use to get out? Well, then they, Which I I'm, thought they sent it to, I thought he said like, they sent me here and they like, they sabotaged it. They sabotaged my ship so that it broke. I'm pretty sure he said that. Like, Oh, okay. Good. They sabotaged my ship and then sent me here. And I didn't know it. Like I kind of, it kind of seemed like they tricked him a little bit. That's that, that was the impression I got, even though I don't remember that line. So I thought to me, that was kind of like, yeah, pretty that, sure. remember. I feel like it was more of like a, they weren't as great as fighting him as they thought. So they had to do something last second and they couldn't like plan everything. That's kind of the impression I got. Right. Another thing that I see people complaining about is like, well, this makes no sense because Kang was sent to the quantum realm in like the 1960s. But then Loki in 2012 sees he who remains and like, you know, like, cause, cause the Loki TV show, and like, you know, so has, how was there a king, before, you know, in the past, in the 60s, and the he, he remains. I'm like, look. They both exist this out is, of time. That's easy. 
Well, the th here's the thing is like, here's the, also the thing I'm scared of about the MCU at the moment that the, the multiverse is like a two of a complex thing for the average moviegoer sure. to, to understand. But like, they're, they can happen. You, people are looking at this linearly. It's like, yeah, this isn't exactly. linear anymore. The sacred right. timeline was everything that we saw up until like, it could really happen anytime, but that was like without Kang, right? Like that was the sacred timeline without Kang up until low, up right. until an end game, basically. Right. And then he who remains is this, is the, is the Kang that, that beat Kang the conqueror and right. Rama Tut and the centurion the guys we saw at the end of right. this like this is our, basically it's like history is repeating itself again right so like kang already did he who remains is the final king and then when he dies it's like as it soon as he over. dies it starts all over again yeah like he he who remains probably as soon as he died he's being reborn in the future in a different timeline yeah you know what i'm saying it's it's yeah. like it's people gotta understand like as soon as it happens, every possibility that can happen happens instantaneously. Right. right. And so it's like, it already starts the process again of all the Kangs meet in that moment. As soon as it happens, it's whatever point in all those timelines, those Kings are already at that moment meeting each other yeah. to converse, to share technology. And then they start conquering right. each other. Right. That's all that happens instantaneously. So it's like, it's you can't look at time linearly. It's like it's all happening at once at all times, every time, all day long. Every you know I'm saying like it's complicated in that way. So people have to understand like, and that's the argument too is that like Ant Man and the Wasp Quantumania happens before Endgame. Maybe hope. Maybe it's a different. What? It's a different. Does it? Well, it happens technically. Well, the story happens before. Well, before in the end of Infinity War, and the post credit scene Quantumania? happens. Ant-Man the Wasp, the first yes, the second. Okay, the, sorry. The yes. second one. Yeah. So like you could be like, well, why would Hope or sorry, why would Janet send Scott into the quantum realm? Right. With knowing that he's there. It's like, well, technically, he may not existed in that time. It, like that could have been the sacred timeline. And he who remains, sure. there's no Kang there. yet. There's no Kangs yeah. yet. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like that's and, how you Yeah. And to some degree, this is like just what you get into when you're adding on to lore that you're kind of you you have established lore. You're building off of like comic lore, but you're also changing it, right? And you're kind of tooling it to your own things. So you're kind of making it up as you go a little bit too, right? Yeah. Um, and it doesn't bother me. I mean, I guess it's like this yeah, is the but that makes sense. Though. Like, yeah, it does. And I think and I think it's just like, well, this is this is what happens when you try to scientifically explain impossibilities. You know, it, yes. it expands as we try to like make everything in this world fit with the rules of our world. And I just that's i mean like i think that's pointless that's just yeah. a frustrating endeavor you know what i mean it's it nice is. it's cool when these made up universes play by rules that feel similar to ours and sometimes it can be like it can feel like we can identify with it better but i think as long as it's playing by the its own rules it's fine as long as it's like being consistent with itself i think it works I agree. And I think that's the, the thing I, I fear for the general audience. The thing I just explained is yeah. something that I don't think my, my, my mom would probably wrap her head around too much. Right. You know what I'm yeah. saying? No, you're right. I like mean, that, I, I remember, yeah, I remember free guy coming out and I, you know, you didn't really like free guy because of like how it treats, you know, like you don't think it's like a good indication of like gamers and that kind of stuff. Right. That's a separate right. conversation. 
But the reason why my mom didn't like it was because she didn't really understand what was going on. Like, she's what's an NPC? Right. She's what's an NPC? Like, this is like a, a video game character inside the game. Like, you know, so she didn't like because of that. And I was like, oh, like I was like, okay, like that's not her world. Like, that's not something that yeah. she has to think about or she's had to yeah. deal with a whole lot. So like, I wondered that same thing with like the multiverse. Like, what is, are people going to be like checking out because this stuff is too complicated? And like, right. I don't, I don't know. That's I think, a hurdle. That's a hurdle that MC is going to have to figure out. I think you're right. Like that is a, that's another part of the discussion of hardcore fans versus casual fans, right? Like the more this universe expands, the more complicated it almost by law has to get to expand. Right. Yeah. And the more that the complications, the complicated stuff appeals to the hardcore fans because we want stuff to read through and figure out and, and like speculate about, you know what I mean? That that's all kind of like meat to us. We love it. We want, we want that stuff. So the casual fan, it's like a turnoff. You know what I mean? It's like, it's like when they, they counter that, they don't understand it. They start like kind of not being present with the film or the movie. And I think that's, that's such a crucial part of this, which lane is, can Disney balance it? Can they find a balance or do they pick a lane and which lane do they pick? Cause it's like, you can't, you can't, you can't, you can't like uncomplicate the universe necessarily later. I mean, maybe when they reboot it, maybe when like the end of secret wars happens and we get like the single prime universe with brand new potentially actors and characters and stuff. Yeah. You can, you can streamline things down. You can make it a more simple world. Even just the idea that there aren't any more multiverses makes it a lot more simple. Um, I agree. But you can't, you, you still have to be an interest. I don't know. It, it, it's a complicated thing for them to be in. And it is, it'll be very interesting to see how they navigate that. Because yeah. they're, they're in uncharted territories, right? They've had success, but that model isn't, they can't just keep copying and pasting the model of the Infinity Saga. They're going to have to innovate. They're going to have to keep things fresh. And yeah, it'll be an interesting journey watching and seeing how they do or don't do that. One of the things to here, Daniel, is interesting is like in the comics, Kang, there's multiple different versions of Kang in the comics, but it's all from one timeline. He's typically at just different points in the timeline. So he was born in like the 31st century. He ends up going back in time to like Egyptian times. He becomes Ramatut. Yeah, and then you know I'm saying like so he's the Pharaoh version we saw at the end of this in the, the post credit scene, and then later on he becomes the Centaurian. So I'm saying like in like these different characters are time hopping, so it feels like it's a lot of different characters, but it's really just one one Kang. It's yeah. different the fact that Multiple it's a multiverse, versions. so yeah. we have like it's different timelines of Kings, right? So what's interesting too is like it feels like there's where the universe is kind of going or what they're setting up Kang's goal. Kang the Conqueror, which is Jonathan Majors we saw in, in this movie, yeah. it feels like his goal is very similar to um, He Who Remains, right? He wants to, he kind of says, I need to go back to stop all the other versions of myself yeah. from destroying everything. But at the same time, he's also he wants to pruning. He, he is pruning timelines and everything else. Yeah. I do kind of hope that his goal is more than just ruling things because that feels very just, it's well, not as interesting as Thanos. Isn't, but is Kane the Conqueror dead at the end of this movie? I, I, got I don't think so at all. Okay. See, I got the impression that like this was Kane the Conqueror and he, because he's dead, that's why Kang Dynasty will happen because now 
instead of there being this one king that everyone was afraid of, that no one really wanted to mess with, he was kind of the reason they weren't just going to war to see who's on top anymore. Because now he's gone. Now it's open season. And that's what King Dynasty is going to be is like, it's going to be Kang's either fighting for power, deciding who's on top, or it is going to be they they've all come together and now they've all they're all on the same team. And it's like instead of there being one king, we just want to have all the kings in charge. I, I that that's kind of the impression that I got. See, I kind of feel like it's not that I, I, I to me, like when they exiled Kang, they kind of these three at the top, right? It looks like Ramatat, Centarian, yeah. and then um. I can't think, or maybe it's Immortus is one of the other ones, mm. but it feels like those three are in charge, right? They're the, the council of Kings. Right. And yeah. to me, like him being exiled, it feels like their, their mission, those three is like, Hey, the, 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 the other people like the Avengers are starting to touch the multiverse. They said that they're starting to touch it. They're, they're didn't getting they say whatever. They, they, they took him down. Wasn't that what they said that like they, they, they killed or they, they, they beat the conqueror yeah they, they said that they, yeah they they killed the conqueror and he's like are you sure and he's like i wouldn't have told you if i wasn't sure i don't think kane the conqueror is dead mm-hmm. at all well i think it's i mean kane the conqueror could potentially be he who remains just earlier in his he, life cycle right he who could knows? be he could be uh, but, he, I, but here's I the thing yeah. there's a character called the beyonder in the comics and he's kind of okay. like it he's i think he's like alluded to be a king but the Beyonder starts Secret Wars. He's the one who takes all the people and puts them on the, on the planet. I think that Kane the Conqueror gets sucked into this little time, like this, uh, like yeah. deeper into the quantum realm. I think he goes, he gets a little powers beyond. I think he becomes the Beyonder, which mm. he becomes like the Maybe. ultimate. He becomes like the most powerful king ever. Interesting. And then it's like him versus the King of Councils, the Council of Kings, sorry. And I think it's, it's like, I think that's going to be a part of it. That's going to lead into secret wars. I think that secret mm-hmm. wars is him or him after the very end, him coming back that particular King and being the mm-hmm. big bad of secret wars. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I can see I mean, that. Honestly, the thing is, here's the thing. There's a lot of different versions of the stories that could work great. hundred percent. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's not like I, like I, I could see both being really satisfying and work really well. And you've got Jonathan majors. And so he's going to be anchoring it all with his stellar performance anyway it's like i'm honestly i'm i'm down for any version as long as it's good shit and, and you know like well-told stories and like you know has those fuck yeah moments of like the avengers movies do you think uh i mean here's another the, the after credit scene of like um when they're all coming into the auditorium mm-hmm. The Coliseum. Mm-hmm. Some of them are just like screaming and like kind of yeah goofy like you like that or you didn't like I it? i did i did because i feel really? like yeah, I did. I think it was like, it just shows like, for one, the range of types of Kangs there are. And like, there's probably some homicidal psychopath Kangs that are, can be like really fun to battle for certain characters. And like, I just think, I, I just liked the variety we got on screen. I mean, that one that was like going fucking insane. I think he was at like a sporting <laughs> match. I like that. I think that's like, okay. that's fun. That's like, yeah, that's the fun thing about a character like Kang is that you have all of those personalities that you can play with at any point in any of these stories that you want. You need Kang to be like this. Great. There's a Kang like that. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, it just, it kind of, it, it it's kind of like a storytelling, like, like a easy button a little bit, you know what I mean? Where it's just like, if you need the character to be different, there's a version of him that's different. And I just thought, I just thought it was like, 
for one, I just liked his, like, it was silly, but Jonathan Major sold it so well. Like, how he performed it, like, it was like, it sold me on it. Like, at first I was like, oh, that's a little weird, but, like, he did it with such, like, it felt so real to that version of him yeah. and to just the moment. I just was like, this feels like chaos in, like, a, like like you know, like, evil chaos coming to the MCU, and I think that's interesting and, and, and gripping. The way all the Kangs come into the Coliseum, is by the same blue teleportation thing that Reed Richards does in Multiverse of Madness. Mm. Fun facts. In the comics, that blue teleportation thing is how Doctor Doom traverses sometimes. I mean, I think I think it is very likely. I think, and this is me being pretty comic illiterate. Um, to me, what I could see happening is that, that like, I think you may have mentioned this in text, that like Secret Wars is Doctor Doom. And that Kang, at the end of Kang Dynasty, maybe that maybe that's Kang's last act as like his final like maybe he's been beaten, but he wants to he wants to in he wants to like you know stick the knife in them too as he's fading away, and this is his final act to create the Secret Wars. Like, fine, you defeated me, but can you defeat yourselves? Kind of thing, you know, kind of thing, yeah. and then and then that's like that. where Doctor Doom should be a writer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, it's like you know, it's like that's where, and I and I'm, I still kind of hope Doctor Doom is a different actor character, just sure, just for more variety, just because I think there's a lot of actors that I think could do interesting versions of Doctor Dooms, and we're gonna have a lot of movies with Kang, and I think just by that time it would be nice to have a new face potentially. Sure. Um. But yeah, like that to me feels like a very clear direction that we're kind of like that. That to me would make a lot of sense. You know what I mean? And would flow narratively. Would 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 that's something that, that idea excites me. Like I would be into that. Last thing I want to talk about here before we get off here is, um, I I don't personally think Kane the Conqueror in Ant Man Quantumania is dead. I think okay. that version is going to come back in some way. But do you think it hurt? like the the mythos of Kang, the thing that the MCU has been telling us so many times of like, this is the next Thanos that a character like Ant-Man and the Wasp and a whole bunch of ants can defeat Kang the Conqueror. I mean, like, do you feel like he's not as formidable as he's supposed to be the scare? All the other Kangs are scared yeah. of this Kang, but they, but Ant-Man beating. Yeah. I mean, I kind of, no, it didn't bother me too much. And I think part of it was, I kind of felt like, and maybe this is just the impression that I got that this was kind of a, not at his peak, Kang the Conqueror. You I agree. I mean, he's been alone for how many millennia of the time that doesn't count. And, you know, he, he hasn't faced much opposition. He's pretty in charge. Um, I don't know. To me, I got the impression that this was just like, yeah, he's still Kang the Conqueror, but he doesn't have all his gadgets. He doesn't have his army with him to do shit, like his army of Kangs or army of like, I don't know, better people. I guess I just feel like, yeah, it was like, it, and it was lucky that they get, did what they did. Like they, they, you know, it's always by the, you know, by the hair on your chin that things work out in, in these kind of movies, but it does. I felt like it worked. I felt like, yeah, you've got Kang kind of, you, you kind of caught him off guard. He doesn't expect these guys to be a threat either. You know what I mean? And he's kind of this, you know, he's, he's not in this prime. And so I, I and, and maybe that was just like, I don't know. Maybe that's just, I don't know if the movie necessarily did anything to tell me that specifically, that was the impression I got. Do you feel like 
No, I, I agree with that sentiment too. I knew I do know that they apparently reshot the ending five weeks before the movie came out. So like um, wow. two months ago. And the original ending was that Scott and Hope were going to be stuck in the quantum realm. And yeah, that Kang seemed like gonna, what it was going for right at the end. Yeah. You know, and Kang was going to get out. I think, I think that's what happened. He was going to get out. And they're going to be stuck. Mm-hmm. Um, And it kind of, you know, I, I can see the similarities of like Scott is in the, well, he, he's, he gets almost stuck in the quantum in the first movie. He right. does get stuck, stuck at the end of the second movie. Yeah, you know, Janet got stuck there. It would kind in of be a repeated plot point. Yeah, I can kind of see that, but I mean, it does kind of. I don't know. I do see a little bit of the complaint that like this kind of makes Kang not seem that formidable against the Avengers, compared yeah. to like the first time Thanos met the Avengers, he just he mops the Hulk floor. Like he's always there, and he's losing to the Avengers, you know, like indirectly through like his puppets, but he's right. not like physically do it he's not physically doing it himself but, did, but i think it works when you have a b- billion versions of one character like that's what the character is he's all these versions of themselves no they're all are aren't all equally powerful right yeah no, i Kane agree conqueror is supposed to be the most powerful but he's also like he's been defeated like he was exiled he got he got he got sent away where he wasn't going to bother the rest of them you know what i mean yeah um they didn't defeat yeah. him on in combat it's not like they could best him in one-on-one but they outsmarted him you know what i mean and i think yeah well, I think I think that's that is the difference is that and it does kind of make the stakes feel a little inconsequential. It's like, well, you defeat this one, but you have to defeat there's infinite number of him. So he's like he's impossible to defeat on some level. Yeah. But I think the ultimate end game here, no pun intended, is you're gonna have to like prune Kang himself from every timeline. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Right. And the question is, where's the good Kang? Where's the Kang that's yeah. gonna be in Kang Dynasty that's like our Kang. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like yeah. That's yeah. like the Kang on our side helping us defeat all the other Kangs. We haven't met yeah. that Kang yet. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure he exists. He has to. Like can they can't defeat see that him. Kang introducing us to the Fantastic Four if that ends up being because is well, sure. is Fantastic Four supposed to come out before that, the movie? I think Fantastic Four tees up Secret Wars. I could be wrong. Okay, okay. Yeah, I don't know. I because I mean, if it is, if it does do that, Kang is a long, long, long descendant of Reed Richards. I could see that being how they introduce, like, hey, like, what would you do? He's like, well, actually, I know someone that can help us, kind of thing. Exactly. You know? exactly. Like, oh, I know I can find my great, 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 great grandfather or something. Um, yeah. 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 I don't know. I see it there's happening. A lot of, there's a lot of good, interesting possibilities. The end of the end of the last credit sequence was Loki, right? And 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 yeah, Mobius, which was just a uh, straight looking, up cut of a couple, like a few shots from the upcoming season, hundred percent. And yeah. essentially, like you know, it, it looked like the the Victor Timely Kang, which I think is a Kang that went back in time and basically in the comics is responsible for the the modern technology we have in the in the in the universe of more advanced technology. Yeah, which is a little contradictory because yeah. Eternals kind of explained that one. Like we're the we're the reason why humans have technology. It's what Eternals yeah. kind of took that a little bit, <laughs> yeah. which I think is stupid. But yeah, um, and then it kind of takes it, away from like Tony Stark's like thing that he's yes. incredibly brilliant and he invents things that are so much more advanced than anything else. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, you're right, but I think uh, but who's to say which timeline that Mobius and loki or in yeah. right it could be any it could be any dimension but absolutely i think it but i say all that to say like i'm very i'm super excited for loki season two and there's a lot yeah. riding on it to kind of yeah. 
fill in us. Again, it does scare me just in terms of you're telling some important details that's not in the movies. And like, I'm not sure it's ever a good idea to make a universe where you can't just watch one movie and know everything going on. But I think that that's also the danger of doing an interconnected universe like this. Exactly. No, you're right. I mean, it, it, yeah. But the, all, all the reasons that this, the MCU is successful are all the reasons that it, it ha- are all the challenges that it has to continue to do to keep being successful. Yeah. So last thing I'll say for get off, I do think that maybe Hank should have died. Even though I love Hank Pym, he's one of my favorite characters. I think that someone should have probably died. Like Kang should have got something. Yeah, I, probably. But it would have felt unearned if they had just killed him at the end with the movie like it is. Like they would have had to work in him having some sort of important arc to Scott's arc, right? Like he would have had. I agree. Because him dying would have had to, for it to work, I feel like he would have had to die. And that should have been a catalyst for why Scott finds a way to defeat Kang, right? In like I an agree. ideal arc. And I, think I agree. That's just a different movie if he does that. And I think you're right. That maybe is the stronger version of it. Yeah. Some last standout things. I love the uh, probability storm. I thought it was super fun. Yeah, and like, and going in and like, it wasn't much of a heist. It was more like do this one particular thing. Like it wasn't an intricate right. heist. It was just like, right. But get a, get to a to B. It was. And like seeing the one like Baskin Robbins. Oh yeah. Scott. Well, and fantastic. I love the moment when like they all started working together for Cassie. Like that was awesome. Oh yeah. And he's climbing up and they're helping him up. And like, yeah, I loved that. I thought that was really like, it felt like a cool moment for Ant-Man even. I did too. Yeah. I love him being giant man. Like he was giant man a lot. And he was just, I think, I think Paul Rudd delivered. Like I even love whenever they're, I love a good fist fight. And I think like, that's one thing that the MC sometimes doesn't do is like, they just do powers. And I kind of like just two guys just like, let's just, fucking go yeah you know what i'm saying yeah, and I there's agree. something fun about that and i like I that part of it and i like too like just even jonathan majors like you thought you could win like his look whenever paul gets up he he gets like the, he's such a good actor he gets his look like like come on dude like you're done you know like yes it's yeah, so I good like there's so many amazing. things like that jonathan majors killed it like i want to watch it again just so i can see his scenes you know i do too. like I, I i could i feel like i could start the movie when he's on because it's almost like halfway through the movie it feels like before we actually get to him it's a while they, they you see him in the very first out. scene but yeah it's like well, but 20 30 minutes get, in till he's a part of the plot kind of yeah um yeah you know but yeah no i i agree i'm i he's he his performance is enough reason to rewatch this movie for me too I agree. No, it's some good stuff. There, I mean, again, it's I'm I'm surprised it's getting such a negative reaction that it's getting. I I don't think it deserves it, but no, I think also the expectation of what an Ant Man movie should be is a is partly there, and I also think that it, there is problems that they don't really go through a whole lot character arc wise. It's more of a a piece. It's a it's a it's a piece of the puzzle to move the Marvel universe at large. Yep, and sometimes they nail it. Sometimes they don't. Daniel, how can our listeners write into us? Listeners, you can write into bit.ly slash 241mail. Let us know what you thought of Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. Uh, I'm sure we're probably going to have some diverse opinions out there. I'd, I'd be interested in what our friend Joel thinks is another kind of diehard into the, you know, a diehard fan of kind of the world and the in the lore and stuff. But yeah, write into us, bit.ly slash 241mail. And if you can't find us at our bit, you can always write us in the comment section below, youtube.com slash 241studios, the best place to consume the content. Daniel, I'm glad we talked about this. I know that uh, 
I was, I mean, I've been foaming at the mouth for like a yeah. week since I watched it to kind of dive into it. I could yeah. keep talking about it forever. There's like things I, 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 I'm remembering as I say this, I'm like, oh yeah, this part, this part, this part. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. I'm sure we'll have more time in the future to talk about all the MCU things. Um, our next big MCU project is Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Three. Ooh, and I have buddy. no doubt in my mind if I could bank on any movie that's going to yeah, yeah, make me feel good about the MCU, it's probably that, that last one. trailer. Phenomenal, phenomenal. Like, and, and so again, I just repeat the 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 tagline of the movie. If you haven't seen, is once more with feeling. And there's, I don't know if there's been a better tagline for a movie so, ever. It's so like, good. It fits the 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 style of the film. Like it's this. It's a. It's like a theater saying, right? Once more yeah. with feeling, is like a is a. Yeah. The, it's like something that comes from theater, I think. And yeah. so like it's like it's these theatrical characters in this goofy theatrical world. Yeah. And it's going to be this heartfelt. We know it's going to be heartfelt because if there's oh. anything Guardians is good at, it's good at pulling like getting those heartstrings. And yeah. I'll say like it's, whew, I can't wait. I mean that gives me shivers just thinking about that movie. So, it does. The only um, competitive tagline ever with that one would, would probably be from the movie Twins with Arnold Schwarzenegger and Danny DeVito. Okay. And the tagline is, "Only their mother can tell them apart." That's such a. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's, that's my listen. The, the, the truth is that the nineties, I feel like, were the bastion of amazing movie like like uh like lines like for a movie like i yeah. feel like in the 90s they got really good at like the playful double entendre like oh, yeah. like lines for it yeah so it, it, i'm sure there's probably the most in the 90s that are really good the most famous superhero one is definitely superman the movie and it's you'll believe a man can fly that's that's like the that's like the one. optimistic great one yeah um but no um I'm very excited for the MCU, the Guardians, and then very soon, podcasters, we will be back for Mandalorian season three. And we're like, um, which is right around the way. We're a week away. Wow. A week away. So, anyway, my name is Donovan Thompson. I am Daniel Wingfield. And we have spoken.